I, I want to start our discussion this evening with a little bit of history. So since ancient times, it was known that the testes were important for male, maleness. And in the late 19th century, there was an American um, French physiologist um, called Charles Edward uh, Brown Sicard. And Sicard was convinced that if he took a watery solution, an extract from the testes from either guinea pigs or from dogs, and injected this, that it had rejuvenating properties. And in fact, he was so convinced, he actually injected himself. And he then published the findings in the medical journal, The Lancet. So, um, in front of you, or in front of some of you, there's a, an advert from the Strand magazine from 1889 um, for this wonder drug called Sequarin. Um, so this idea of taking animal extracts or extracts of animal organs and injecting them was very popular in the late 19th century. So if you look at that advert, you can see that sequarin was this miracle drug. It was supposed to cure a whole range of maladies from quite serious things like paralysis, uh, diabetes, um, kidney disease, all the way through to um, indigestion and um, the flu. So it, it's perhaps quite appropriate that this advert for Sequarin was published in the Strand magazine, because some of you may also know that the Strand magazine was where Arthur Conan Doyle originally published his Sherlock Holmes story. So it's, it's easy nowadays to, to scoff at uh, Brown Sicard and his, his ideas, but of course we do know that the testes do produce an important um, and powerful chemical, namely testosterone. It's just that they don't, um, they don't store testosterone, they make testosterone and then it's passed into the circulation. And so, um, testosterone belongs to a class of chemicals called androgens. Um, and androgens themselves are important chemical messengers because they're found um, or they're part of a larger family of steroid hormones. So I want to, to move on um, and consider, um, well, actually, first of all, I should, I should say one very important point about androgens. So, so the main site of androgen production in men is the testes, and in women, it's the adrenal glands. So the adrenal gland is a little pyramidal structure that's located on top of our kidneys. So this is where androgens are made in the body. And the identification of testosterone um, only occurred about 90 years ago, um, at the, the beginning of the, the 20th century. And it started with a German biochemist called Adolf, um, let me get his name right, Butenand. Um, and he was working in Berlin. And together with a chemical company called Shearing, um, Butenand started off with 15,000 litres of urine. And this was donated by German policemen. 
And from this 15,000 litres of urine, he ended up with 15 milligrams of a steroid called androsterone. And androsterone is a close relative of testosterone. So 15 milligrams, what does that look like? Well, if you think that a teaspoon of sugar is about four grams, then 15 milligrams is just going to be a few grains. So that's, that's the level that they were working at. Um, and that was 1931. And then, oops, in the same year, a Croatian Swiss scientist called Leopold uh, Rzyski, um, who was working in Zurich, he actually made androsterone from scratch. So he managed to synthesize it in the laboratory. And then a few years later, in 1935, um, another scientist called Ernest Laquer, who was working in Amsterdam, um, he is another Swiss scientist, he was the first to actually isolate testosterone. And his starting material was 100 kilograms of bull's testes. So if you like, and he ended up with 10 milligrams of pure testosterone. So if you like, he started off with about 100 bags of sugar and he ended up with a few grains um, at the end of pure, pure testosterone. Um, and then the other two scientists, Butanant and um, uh, Ruzika, they were able then to synthesize testosterone in the laboratory. And so this was, clearly these scientists were very dedicated, they were very skilled, um, but importantly, they weren't working alone. They were also working with... Um, with the fledgling chemical companies at the time, because it was realized that there was possibly money to be made in producing testosterone synthetically. So let's fast forward a little bit to the end of the 20th century. And then two, um, two, two principal groups, one in the Netherlands and one in the United States, they isolated the protein in the body that binds testosterone. And this is a protein that's called the androgen receptor. And we can think of this protein as the gatekeeper for testosterone action. Because if this protein is not present, then testosterone can't work. Um, so, one important, um, one important thing about this, this gatekeeper, and also testosterone itself, is that the levels are very tightly controlled, both production of the hormone, testosterone, and the production of the protein, the gatekeeper, the androgen receptor. Um, and that brings me then to the title. So we've called this testosterone the Goldilocks hormone, and, and Barbara kind of gave away the punchline in the introduction, uh, because if you know your fairy tales and you know the story of um, Goldilocks, then you know that what we're alluding to is the fact that um, too little or too much testosterone is not good for us. So, the production of the hormone and the production of the gatekeeper, the protein, are very tightly controlled. And the work in my laboratory, which is based over at the Institute for Medical Sciences, which is one of the grey buildings in that direction, um, we're interested in both the receptor protein, so we're interested in how it works, we're interested in how its shape changes, um, and how that is related to how it works, and we're also interested 
in what controls the levels of the gatekeeper in different cells of the body. And the reason for this is that one of the things that we've observed is that in some cells, testosterone actually causes the gatekeeper to go up, and in other cells, it causes it to go down. And we're just beginning to work out the molecular detail of, of how this regulation works. And so you might be thinking to yourself, well, well why is that important? Um, well, the reason it's important is because although Brown Sicard was kind of misguided in his ideas that you could use um, extracts of animals uh, for rejuvenating or beneficial um, benefit, there is evidence that testosterone might be beneficial. So we know that the levels of testosterone will fall as we get older. So a man of 40, his testosterone levels are about a third they were when he was 20. And by the time he reaches 50, they're less than half of what they were when he was a young man. So the question is, is it beneficial? Well, there, there are several questions, or one big question and several smaller questions. So the, the big question for, for a GP or for, for a, a clinical doctor is how you distinguish between normal age-related decreases in testosterone with levels of testosterone which are abnormally low. Um, and then the subsequent questions that follow on from that is trying to understand what happens if we were to use testosterone supplements um, for otherwise healthy um, men and women? Um, would there be benefits or would there be adverse effects? And just to, to end this part of, of the, the, the evening, um, I can tell you about a clinical trial that was carried out in the United States. It involved about 800 men and Interestingly, they had to screen about 50,000 men in order to find 800 that fitted the criteria for this clinical trial. And the results of this trial were quite illuminating. So they found that there was some benefit of giving these men testosterone in terms of um, uh, libido and general energy. But surprisingly, Oh, and, and also it improved their red blood cell count, which was, which was good. But surprisingly, there wasn't um, significant changes in how they, they felt. Um, and worryingly, there was the potential of having problems with the, card, with the heart. Um, so, but one of the problems with this trial, as acknowledged by the authors of it, was that it wasn't actually designed to look at the long-term risks of testosterone replacement. Um, so to close then, um, I would say that in the last hundred years, we've come a long way in identifying testosterone. Um, we know what it can do in the body. We know where it's produced. Um, we know quite a bit about its molecular um, action, but there's clearly quite a lot we still don't know um, as to whether it would be of benefit um, as a general supplement. Um, but it's certainly a Goldilocks hormone because we know that too little or too much is, is not good. So I'd like to just um, hand over now to Professor Mint, um, who can take up the discussion um, in a slightly different direction, perhaps. <laughs>
Hi, good evening, everyone. Um, so just to follow on uh, what uh, Professor McQueen has said, um, so probably I will be more focused on the signs and symptoms when somebody have low testosterone level. So as alluded earlier, the low testosterone level can uh, cause men to be um, lack of interest in sex, sex drive will go down. So erectile dysfunction can happen. And also um, the other common symptoms include fatigue. Um, the other thing, um, other thing is about the you know, loss of muscle mass and increase in fat tissues. So it's quite interesting that you, know, you could almost put all these things into, maybe because I'm getting older. <laughs> So that what happens sometimes when somebody like, you know, 50 year old person come to me and say, I got, you know, I'm really tired. And I, my reaction would be, of course, you tired because you work seven days a week <laughs> from seven o'clock to seven o'clock. And what do you expect? But having said that, you know, that that could be exactly the symptoms of low testosterone, which happened to be one of my close relative who turned out to have a, a low testosterone level presenting with these exactly these symptoms, just fatigue with the, you know, obviously uh, the job is cheap, busy job. So I think there, there are signs and symptoms which we could put quite um, easily to normal aging process, maybe due to testosterone deficiency as well. So it's something to be, um, it's, kind of common around age of 40 to 50, 50, 60 times. So it's kind of like a, almost like a, a male menopause, if you like, uh, or, or andropause, I think it's the word. Um, so, you know, th these are the signs and symptoms. If in doubt, you could potentially discuss with your GP to check. And again, like anything which we regard as a normal value has a very, um, we should be um, mindful that normal value is usually uh, taken from a group of people who are apparently healthy. So a bit like, you know, body mass index, for example, where when we get older, the normal range of body, fat in, uh, body mass index is higher, a bit higher. Uh, like a body fat percentage as well. So there are different age ranges for different ages, but that's the average of, or, or, or normal range of the group of people of a certain age. Well, we don't really know it, how, how low is low for that particular age group, so how high is high for that particular age group. So there's always um, a, um, a caveat around that. But Professor McQueen, uh, as, as he said, the, at the moment, currently accepted normal values for testosterone varies depending on the age. So it may be low for a younger person, but it may be within the normal range for the older person. So the really interesting would be to see whether the process of aging, such as loss of muscle um, and replacement of muscle with a fat tissue, and changes in body compositions, can they be reversed or prevented by testosterone is a 
really big question. And obviously, that probably need to be tested in a very safe way. So I think we, we still quite a long way to go in terms of understanding the role of testosterone in healthy aging and also whether it is safe to do so to give somebody uh, testosterone to keep the level up and how, how, how safe, how, which level is safe. So for example, the, the trials Professor McEwen um, described earlier use, but I think it, they use two strengths of testosterone. And again, like any, any other treatment studies, um, we really need to find the dose and duration of the treatment. So there are so many research questions around actual, you know, implication and the application of the uh, treating people or giving people uh, testosterone and to see whether it will have health benefits, how safe it is. So bottom line is uh, there are a lot we don't know about. But we, we, we have to work together with basic scientists like Prof. McEwan and clinicians to try to answer the important questions, I suppose.